This is the Gates Media Box Podcast. Coming up this week, we talk about the new shows coming to television this fall, reviews of This Is The End, Oz of Great and Powerful, and House of Cards, an interview with the stars of The Lister, and ahead of North Northeast this week in Toronto, I've got an interview with John Brewer for his documentary, B.B. King, The Life of Riley, followed by music from The Crackling. First up, here's co-writers and directors Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg talking about their new movie, This Is The End. I mean, we made the short, and when we made the short, there was no intention to direct it whatsoever. And then over time, we kept talking with Jason Stone, who made the short with us, uh, about doing some apocalypse thing, and then we had our, rea- our idea to have stars play themselves. And when we realized that together they would be great, and that our six guys would be the best guys, we were like, well, who would be the best director? And that was the first time ever where we were like, maybe yes. Maybe we would, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't unleash these guys on someone else. <laughs> it wouldn't be fair. Yeah, it was the only thing, way to justify it is we're the only people who could actually get these six guys, and we thought it was important that it be these six guys yeah. to do it. And control them. A little. The six guys are talking about are the stars. James Franco, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen himself, Jay Bruchel, Danny McBride, and Craig Robinson. Plus, the film also features Emma Watson, Michael Cera, Jason Segel, and even Rihanna. Here's Rogan talking about how meta it was filming a movie that features all the stars playing fictionalized versions of themselves. Followed by a few clips where Goldberg and Rogan talk about making This Is The End. How many times we would have a conversation in real life and then you'd essentially have the same conversation. We'd film the same conversation like three days later. Like, it was... It was weird in that regard. It was kind of surreal, like, and in, in, in at times how meta the movie would get. And every time, like, we'd think it was as meta as it would be, like, we'd realize some other weird layer to it that, that even made it more meta. First uh, assembly of the movie, and this was what we planned from the start, was all gospel music. Our, yeah, our we, initial we, plan was all gospel music. We recorded a gospel choir and videotaped them yeah. singing a gospel song that our executive producers wrote. Yeah, none of it's called, in the movie. called "Please Save My Soul," yeah. and like got a whole choir and just people. People it. were just like, "That's slow." It's you like sometimes, yeah. Like we had a musical concept that we just instantly abandoned, and then it became whatever song works, whether it's I, I Whitney miss, Houston I miss or. Gospel. Yeah. I miss. We had a great gospel song when Danny woke up, and I miss that. But yeah. the energy of just you know modern music keeps things moving. Yeah. No, I mean, we've worked with a lot of these guys before. I think, honestly, a lot of them developed whatever sensibilities they do or don't have, you know, with us, I think. Like, I think we all kind of went to the same movie-making college, in a sense. Like, the first movies, especially comedies a lot of us made, were together, you know, Um I think Pineapple Express was the first comedy Franco was in as a movie. Freaks and Geeks was the first show he was in. Undeclared was the first thing Jay really did. Superbad was the first movie Jonah had a big part in. Uh, I think Pineapple was the first thing Craig had a big part in. And Danny was the first big movie he was in. So, I mean, I think, luckily, a lot of us really have whatever styles we have due to working with one another in a lot of ways. And so it's it all feels very similar stylistically, and there's not a lot of conflict there. If there's one thing we spent a lot of time planning, it was and it was something we'd never done before because we'd never had this many like main characters. But yeah, that we we took a long time to really plot out. Like, okay, Seth and Jay are friends. Jay hates Jonah. Jonah likes Jay. Seth likes 
you know, Franco. Franco likes Seth more than Seth likes Franco. <laughs> Danny and Franco hate each other. And like, then some of them, like, Franco was like, I want to like Seth more. Yeah, exactly. And Jonah yeah. was like, I want to be nice to Jay instead of mean to Jay. Yeah. Maybe I'm still being mean instead of just, we just wrote Jonah to just be mean at first. And he yeah. was like, why don't we add a bit more? Yeah, they had a lot of input into, like, the specifics of how it would be executed. We want to create an environment where, like, we're fostering ideas, not rejecting them. So, you know, every once in a while, yeah, you definitely have to film someone for half an hour saying something that you do not think is funny because for the previous two hours they said a bunch of stuff that you think is really funny. Yeah, we had a never-ending argument with Jay. Jay kept doing this gagging thing when something gross happened. Yeah, he kept doing this, like, dry And we we kept saying, eventually we were like, just honestly, as the directors, like, we're not going to use it. We're not going to use it, man. And he was like, oh... You're going to use it. And we don't use it. We we, we won that argument. He might have been right, and we were just spiteful. We just never use it, but we just let him keep doing it. And, like, we just... He got, got like, nine gags. Made the crew laugh. The crew seemed to like it. That was what kept him going. The crew kept laughing. The camera guys loved it. So. We could make a gag reel. We, we, we should. should. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. Jay's own gag reel. The gag reel. Uh, there were some people we couldn't get just due to scheduling issues. Liz Banks, uh, Edward Norton. Yeah. Um, but when it came to casting the parts, well, we just one by one tackled. We, we'd kind of written bits. That we had the six main characters, and we crafted the film for them. With the other celebrities, we made a bunch of bits and kind of talked to them. Well, what would you like to do? Yeah. We got this bit you could do. We got this bit you could do. We, we just do. wanted to feel organic, though. I mean, we wanted there to be... We wanted to feel like a real party, and and at a real party there is generally some people where you're like, why why are they here? You know, and yeah, so, like, like Seth had a uh, Halloween party, and Quentin Tarantino showed up. Yeah, once. exactly. And like David O. Russell was there. It's like who invited? Like I've literally never even met these people, and and so we kind of wanted to add that element where it's like you know it, it feels organic and real, but it but at the same time there's a few curveballs in there. Um, and then that's really how we approached it. Yeah, it was our like, only who, rule was keep it young. Yeah, we wanted to seem like generationally like it was a real party. Like even though in reality, fifty-year-old dudes showed up. To do, your party. Yeah, they definitely do. But uh, yeah, that was kind of it. Is like we wanted to seem real and feel like hypothetically people were getting like a glimpse inside, you know, a possible version of what one of these parties is actually like, basically. When it came to the monsters, we, in our in our amateur director move, did what everyone does. And we were like, we're going to use real shit. We're not going to use computers. We'll use all practical So we, like, suits, had yeah. guys in suits, and we, like, constructed suits. And the whole time, the VFX guy, we, he kept looking at us being like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were like, you don't think this is going to make it into the movie. He's like, just do what you want. It's yeah. fine. I budgeted for it. This don't worry. And then you watch it, and you're just like, yeah, it's a dude in the suit running around chasing us. And uh, And it's like society's, like, gone so far towards CG that, like, in my head, we could do some Guillermo del Toro shit, but, like, only he can. Yeah. And even he's making giant CG monsters Even he's making big CG robots. So it's over. CG. That was Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen talking about This is the End, which opens in theaters this Wednesday, June 12th. So, what is the film all about? I'm not going to give anything away, but This is the End follows Seth Rogen and his friend Jay Baruchel as they try to survive the apocalypse in Los Angeles, and is easily one of the funniest films I've seen in months. Um, it really is going to be one of those films that people look back on 2013 and say, well, there was This is the End. Um, for me, the casting was really perfect. The six actors clearly have amazing chemistry together, so putting them all together where most of the scenes involve all of them or most of them really makes the most sense. It just, it just flows perfectly. It's raunchy and, you know, it's not for kids, but it doesn't actually go as far as it could have, to be honest. 
And the cameos, especially with Emma Watson, even Rihanna, actually helps the movie roll. Uh, you know, up until the halfway mark, uh, really, the, the cameos just keep making the thing roll smoother. Um, my only complaint is that the middle of the film drags a bit as the guys settle into their bunker. Basically, you know, that that's the whole setup all the way until the finale. And uh, it does drag out a little. But that said, it also sets up the finale so that you can actually have this big, uh, boombastic finale that, that works on almost every level. Uh, and it's got an ending that you will not want to miss. Uh, in terms of other reviews this week, uh, I'm going to look at Blu-rays. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is House of Cards. This is a Netflix original series that uh, never aired on television, went straight to Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it is definitely well worth checking out. The oddity is that uh, coming on to Blu-ray, it has zero features, so this is strictly the, the show itself. Uh, the show stars Kevin Spacey, it's got Robin Wright, Kate Mara, Michael Kelly... And really, it's it's an amazing cast. The film, sorry, the the show just uh, it works on an amazing level. It uh, it's got an intense drama that you know it's got a few laughs, but it really is a very dark drama by the end. Um, it follows Spacey as Frank Underwood, who is uh, the House Majority Whip, who kind of is the the backroom dealer. Uh, he makes and breaks people at his whim to try and get what he wants. And the show starts with him kind of losing something that he really wanted. And um, the, the rest of the series is him trying to get that back, basically, or make, make a, a, an impact on the people who have, he sees who have wronged him. Um, definitely worth checking out. The other film uh, that is out this week on Blu-ray is um, Oz the Great and Powerful from Disney. Um, for Blu-rays, this one is packed with features. Uh, I, I have to say there's a lot we're checking out. For me, the bloopers are always the first thing I want to see, to be honest. Uh, but the making of stuff is, is really quite cool. Uh, there's a look into the music and uh, different aspects of the, the production. Um, in terms of the film itself, really quite a cool film. Uh, Mia Kunis. It's also got, uh, of course, uh, James Franco, another James Franco film. Um, this is, you know, basically the prequel to Oz. Um, if you've seen the original, uh, obviously Wizard of Oz, it's, uh, it's a classic. This kind of sets the stage for that. Uh, I'm not going to go really too deep into this, but uh, it, it's worth seeing. It's not the best thing Disney has ever produced. It's it's not even the best thing Disney's made in the last few years, but beautifully done. Sam Raimi, the director, has uh, actually brought a little bit of his uh, unique character to this this story and this film. Um, I would I would say it's worth seeing for sure, but you're probably going to walk away and think, you know, maybe I don't need to see that again for a couple of years. Um, it's a little scary for kids, but uh, in, in overall, you know, you're as a family, you can sit down and watch it and uh, definitely enjoy it and maybe then watch The Wizard of Oz right after. Am I dreaming? You're in Oz. I'm Theodore the Good Witch. Where's your broom? You don't know much about witches, do you? Emerald City, you are here at last, and the prophecy shall be fulfilled. This is my sister, Evanora. I'm here to serve you. The 
royal treasure of Oz. It belongs to you, but only after you defeat the Wicked Witch. Just how wicked is she? Towns were destroyed. <laughs> Children were orphaned. Great wizard from Kansas. Next up, let's talk about fall television here in Canada. Rogers, Shaw, and Bell held their annual Upfront events here in Toronto last week to reveal the new shows they're going to be launching in the fall, and it was interesting as always. Out of the three companies, I have to admit that Rogers really had the standout lineup among all the channels, and it's uh, kind of hard to believe considering the other two companies are major heavyweights. Um, Rogers, which runs the city channels, focused really on comedies for the fall, but it's a really cool lineup. They have Mom... Dads, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Lucky Seven, The Crazy Ones, Super Fun Night, Package Deal, and they're going to have the second season of Seed Returning, which is a Canadian series. The standard series, though, has to be The Crazy Ones for me, which stars Robin Williams, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and James Wolk in a comedy about an advertising agency. Over at Shaw and the Global TV camp, uh, the mood was a little darker, and that's probably thanks to J.J. Abrams' series Almost Human. Uh, there's also The Blacklist, Dracula, Ironside, and Sleepy Hollow. Global did have a few comedies, though, and that included The Big Get, which was the Michael J. Fox show. They had The Millers, Sean Saves the World, We Are Men, and Welcome to the Family. Finally, over at Bell Media, the big story for me, and probably geeks everywhere, is that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series will be on CTV. That's the spin-off from Marvel's Avengers, and it stars Clark Gregg in the role of Agent Coulson. Uh, and that's an interesting little twist considering where the Avengers left that character. So we're going to see what happens to him. Also coming out in the fall from CTV is the 80s comedy The Goldbergs and the dramas Hostages and Intelligence the latter of which stars lost Josh Holloway as a secret agent with a computer implanted in his brain. Um, the Gate will have more on the fall shows, including video from the press conferences, so stay tuned over the summer. Last of all, for television this week, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a tidbit from the listener interviews that I had with Craig Olegniak and Ennis Esmer, who play Oz and Toby in the series. They sat down and talked about the fourth season of the series and what's different this time for the two characters. The listener airs on CTV. You know, Toby and Oz, they, they're, they're kind of in doing their own thing. There's a bit of a, a splintering there, professionally. By necessity, not because we're yeah, not friends. Course, you know, but, but we still show up, but you still show up in my apartment yeah. and we deal with it. I, uh, I, I mooch. I definitely mooch. I mooch and Probably I give one of advice. the best mooches on television. It's a pretty good trade. I like to think I'm in a long line of, of quality moochers. Yeah. Ever since I did, walked in the door like Kramer last year. Yeah, oh, now, I'm, now I'm just, <laughs> they now kept I'm just that, right? a mooch. Oh, they definitely kept it. Yeah, that was beautiful. First in the door. Hey, buddy. <laughs> How would you guys describe your characters' relationships with each other this season? Is there realistic. a tone or realistic? Yeah, I definitely say so because they're not, they're still rooted in, I mean, if you can say realistic about a guy who can read people's minds working for an interdepartmental secret police Completely organization. normal. Yeah, just like everyday humble. stuff. Humble, humble, humble. But when they're together, it's not, it's sort of... Like, you got your work problems, I got my work problems. Like, you yeah. listen, Oz gets his new job, he's the head of emergency services, and uh, right away he gets this issue because, like, a, a guy who used to be a peer is now his, his underling, and he has to kind of crack the whip on him, and it's this whole thing where he doesn't know how to do this. How do I even look at my friend in the face and try to be his boss? And he gives advice on, on that, just as I'm busy giving him advice on, you know, uh, concealing a, a cold case murder from years ago and yeah. interdepartmental politics and headaches from telepathy so it's like 
their friendship remains intact regardless. And I mean, I have to ask, as someone who knows you on Facebook, yeah. maybe this is an in-joke, but Go on. what does Oz eat this year? You know, it, it, yeah, first season we did a thing where I, I ate in every episode, basically. Yeah. Most of it's scripted, which was a little disconcerting. So then the next episode they wrote in, like, I, I wasn't eating as much, but I drank too much, and I was trying to exercise. So this year, I'm a, I'm a big gum guy this year. Gum? Yeah, there's a lot of gum. Did you get Just away with gum chewing? Ruining takes. Just lip-smacking. And like jawbreaker, like the old ice cream, like baseball yep. shaped, you know what I mean? Just just chewing. Slugger. Slugger, yeah. Louisville Slugger, Slugger yeah. yeah. Oh no, uh, Big League Chew. Big League, Big League Chew? Chew, yeah, in the little bags, like the fake tobacco. Just, and a spittoon. Yeah. Lot, I ruined a lot of taste. Crude. Nice. Yeah. Now, my last question is what, you know, who are some of the guest stars that come in this season that I'll go for a few? You, you want to go for a few? For for. A few. All right, right off the top, we've got Jewel State. Right. Yep. We've got Justin Chatwin. Nice. Uh, we've got Walk Off the Earth. Yep, they're coming in for the first episode. Uh, we've got Michael Mando. Uh, we got Michael Filipovich. Uh, oh, we've got uh, Michael Cram. Yeah, from uh, Flashpoint. Flashpoint. Yeah, we've got Aaron Carpluck. Uh, Gabriel yes. Miller Being from Corner uh, Gash. He comes in with a very intense Joel role. Joel Keller. Oh yeah, Joel Keller. Wow. Man. Cool. Well, there's a few more. This is, this is, there's, this is, there's so many I can't remember. Do you guys have intense. a favorite? Richard I'm going to be the bad guy and ask who's your favorite. Is there, you know, you know what? We, this whole sec, the second episode that's coming up, we got a bunch of like Twitter, internet celebrities. There's this guy, Gregory Gorgeous. He ruined uh, you, didn't he? He really did. It didn't take much, actually. He's he's a, a very beautiful young woman, and uh, he he t there's this one sort of insane, like ten minute scene that sets up some stuff from the webisodes because we, we we shot thirteen webisodes this season, and uh, there's going to be one out every. It's called uh, Double Date with Death. There's going to be one released right after the broadcast of each episode online, ctv.ca, get the plug in there. But uh, he just, every time I see footage of that, or like the ADR of it, it's such a weird moment for Oz trying to figure out why yeah. this guy, you know, with the, uh, he's got stubble and makeup and he's in heels and he's pulling it off, which is confusing for Oz, I think. So that little exchange, just, just working on that scene was probably the highlight. That was a lot of fun. For me, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, go. Go, no, go ahead. Yeah, I loved working with uh, the sick kids patients that we got to work with. We nice. did an episode where we got to, uh, to highlight the great work that they're doing over there at the hospital and, and working with actual patients. So that was cool. That and getting in the episode one to work with my buddy Justin Chowen. So that nice. was pretty cool. And to go home to Vancouver. To that was awesome. You spent so many years. That's awesome. Yeah. North Northeast kicks off this week in Toronto, and it uh, runs all the way until Sunday. And while there's always a big focus on the music, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, there's obviously other stuff going on. And one of the biggest things is the film festival. Uh, the North Northeast Film Festival this year has uh, one really cool film among many. Uh, it's called B.B. King, The Life of Riley. It's directed by John Brewer. It took two years to make. It was whittled down from 250 hours of footage that was shot around North America and the United Kingdom. It's narrated by Morgan Freeman and includes interviews with Bono, Eric Clapton, Carlos Santana, Ringo Starr, Slash, Bonnie Raitt, and the list goes on. Uh, it really not only goes into the life of B.B. King and his entire history of where he started from and where he went, but also the actual history of the music scene and the influence that the blues had on making rock and roll and everything from there. Uh, here's John talking a bit about making the film and why he ended up choosing Morgan Freeman to, uh, to narrate the film. The hardest job was to edit. I mean, there's no question about that because we had something like a hundred hours of material and he gave me, or the, the museum gave me some 
50 hours or so we had about 150 hours I mean in a way we might have had more but um, you've got to understand that uh, basically if you're going to make a documentary it can't all be musical footage right. and uh, you need to basically you know there's so much of his life that I've skimmed over very quickly I mean you jump from uh, knowing that he comes out of being a, a DJ has to give the job up because he's being wanted on the road. And um, then we go to the, uh, the, the what we call the crossover, which is basically when he started playing to white audiences rather than black. Mm. Well, that was a fast period. It was about 20-odd years. But you basically, to put all that 20 years in, I need three or four hours. You know, the, the the thing is, I think we've got an overall situation there where we captured um, why the blues, where the blues was going to and where he was going to because his type of blues was what was being copied over here uh, in England and in Europe, um, but especially in England by the Stones and... Uh, the Yardbirds and Manfred Mann and all of these type of bands were coming through. Um, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton were going to America and making America aware. You know, you have these people on your doorstep and that song was written by them. But but when the Stones work at things like this, or when, when, when you know, they, they were recording uh, songs and making them sound like they were new songs. So the fact is that it was like new arrangements, but it was so far a different arrangement, it sounded new. But it really was that song that those blues players had written many years ago. Now, the blues players didn't understand that either because they kept going, why do you want to come over here and take our songs? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what is it about us? And, uh, well, it's very good, you know, as Keith Richards says in the film, you know. And um, so, you know, we were, we were, uh, I mean, Bill Wyman explains that when he went to, to um, he went to Chicago, that fans were, uh, I suppose, uh, in those days it was telexing, but I mean, I don't know how they were communicating, but it was a sort of uh, interesting thing, because it's rather like the connects with the internet today, they were getting to Bill, and Bill was saying, why is that all these people want to know? They said, where do we find this music? And of course, with respect to Chicago, it was over the bridge, which is was the black area, which no no white people went to. So, um, they sort of said, oh, it was over the river, and, uh, yeah, it's right on your doorstep. And uh, that's, that's the weirdest situation, is that all of this was there in America, sitting there, and nobody was really listening. They they were playing to small clubs. Hmm. And it wasn't until the, the English boys came in and said, you know, this guy, he's incredible. <laughs> Did they turn around and go, hey, I'm going to go and see them in the concert. Um, in terms of Morgan Freeman, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how he was chosen for this? I chose him. Uh, I thought he was right. Um, uh, uh, March to the Penguins 
<laughs> made me feel really... i tell you how it came about. It came about the March of the Penguins. First time I saw B.B. using the tuxedo. And I thought, I said, God, if that's not the biggest penguin. <laughs> and I just turned uh, and I looked at the uh, situation and I said, you know who should... Uh, you know who should uh, narrate this is Morgan Freeman, <laughs> and uh, I just thought that wonderful voice, and he's black, and he understands, um, although he's a little bit further up there than than BB, from um, so I you know where he lives now he's gone to live back in Mississippi, but I just said he should do it, and I made a phone call. And within 10 minutes, I got an answer, yes. Well, it's an amazing choice. I can't, after, you know, hearing him speak about, you know, B.B. King, it's unbelievable to think of anyone else doing it. Yeah, there are a few, but Morgan is the man because, you know, he has that voice that comes through. And um, apart from anything else, he does understand it, you know, the problem with the racism that is and was very apparent in the South, right, comes across and, uh, in the film, which is what I wanted it to do. And um, there's a lot of difference. Uh, you know, at the moment I'm doing this blues special type four-part series. Really, for my choice, I decided to do it because I couldn't fit it all in the B.B. King film. Hmm. And um, when you study, I don't know where, whether you've ever been down there, but when you study the racism in the South and how it came about, and going back to the 17th, 18th century, uh, before and after the Civil War, it's very interesting because certain parts of slavery were a lot rosier and glamorous than than they've always been made made out to be, yet there was some very, very strong racist move, movements going around and have been for a long time and still are. And when you interview B.B., when you sit there and talk to him, you can see there's fear in his eyes because, um, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, I once saw the KKK and I saw them in their robes and things and I thought someone was having a joke with me and um, it, it was for real. As B.B. turned around and I told him the story, it was many, many years ago, and he told me, he said, how would you like to wake up to that every morning? Hmm. And of course, you know, um, he came from that area. And um, it's really true that some of the stories he told me would, you know, you didn't even want to hear, you didn't want to listen to because they were so uh, uh, absurd and, and outrageous. So, you know, it's still there, even though many, many years ago it wasn't the actual slavery that one frowned at and said how dreadful it was. One also looked at the other area of saying since then, hmm. since it's been abolished, right? Right? There are serious, terrible things that have been going on. Absolutely. So that's what... Um, and, you know, you know, the age of musician, they remember it. They remember it like it was yesterday. And, um, you know, he's always going on about things. And I listen and go, God, don't tell me anymore. Be, uh, you know, it infuriates me that nobody's doing anything about it. But, you know, it, 
it's there. But it's a great film, and I say that even though it's my film, it's a great film at the start. It's the start of being able to tell about music and 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 the blues, which of course you know um, uh, needs still explanations of how it came about and where it, where it's going to today. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. I I really appreciate it, and I'm I'm definitely a big fan of the film. Good. Well, thank you. Closing out Media Box this week is a song, The Crackling by The Crackling, who will be playing North Northeast this week. You can catch them on Friday, June 14th at 9 p.m. at Supermarket, and otherwise they're touring Canada. They'll be in Sudbury on June 15th, Thunder Bay on June 17th, Winnipeg on the 18th, Moose Jaw on the 19th, and Vancouver on the 22nd. Here's The Crackling from their album, Mary Magdalene.
Day they say.